I have two announcements as we get started. The first one is our next baptisms are September 30th. And first off, you should all mark it on your calendar, even if you're not getting baptized, because you show up, it's going to be a big party, we're going to hang out and have a whole lot of fun, and it's September 30th, and that's like our Indian summer, so it's going to be warm. So it'll be a great day, if there's no wind, we'll put the parachute up, cover the entire backyard, it'll be great. Uh, if you do want to get baptized, sign up at the Welcome Center, uh, we're going to do a couple baptism classes, the first one will actually be next Sunday after every service, so if you want to get baptized, you can go to the class like right after the service, so sign up just so... We know. Uh, the other thing I got to tell you about is when we finish the series we're in right now in two weeks, for, three weeks, three weeks, uh, we're going to do this series out of Tim Keller's book called The Reason for God. And sometimes people are like, why are we studying a book and not studying the Bible? Well, we're going to be studying the Bible. Uh, but one of the great things about this book is it's called Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And what it does is it helps us to be able to speak about the truth and reality of the scriptures and the good news of Jesus in the midst of the culture in which we live in a way that actually makes sense. So we're going to kind of be walking through a bunch of stuff in this book to help us to understand that. What we're going to do in this is we're going to give every family at Element a book. Okay, so every family, not every person, every family, every, there you go. If you have one, you don't need to take one, but we will give every family a book so you can read through it. When I, when I teach, I'm going to take really one of the concepts in the chapter and talk about that in a sermon, and then there's a lot of other stuff that will actually be in those chapters as well, so we want you to read it. Our gospel communities are going to kind of center around the discussion of this. We're going to do half-sheet notes each week for questions if you're not in the gospel community to kind of go through and read the book along with it. I, I think by the end of it, it's really going to help us to, to come together around the idea of how to speak the gospel in a way that is tangible to a lot of people who are skeptics in the culture around us. And, and I have to tell you, that, again, the, the, the book isn't 10 steps to a better you. Okay? The, the, the book is really the idea of understanding how to speak the gospel in a real and plain way to the culture in which we live. And I think that's very important today. So, welcome to Element. If you're new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go deeper. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. Uh, you can search for this thing. It's called Version, And then download that, and then click on More, and then Events in Version. And then we'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, and it says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us uh, what it means to be a people who first and foremost understand the work that you have done to rescue and save us. And that we would rest and trust in that. But as we understand more and more the great rescue and salvation that we have received, that we would in turn want to be people who reflect you to our culture. And that would in turn change the way that we work and we interact with those around us. And so teach us to be a people who fully trust you and live all that we do by the grace of the good news of your gospel. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this series of the book of Proverbs over the summer to understand how to kind of live the wisdom literature that the Bible speaks about, how to live in God's world in a way that honors His image in others and honors God Himself. 
Uh, we are calling this counterculture, not that we want to be counter to people. As a matter of fact, we want all people to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. But we want to be counter to the way of destruction that a lot of things in our culture today breeds in people. And so what we've done is we've looked at wisdom and fools and contentment and anger and money and pride and parenting and our hearts, all in an effort to grow into who God is calling us to be. We've had uh, five different teachers that weren't me in the midst of this series. I think they have all done an excellent job Way better than me, by the way. Uh, I, every time I'm like, I don't want to follow that. It was so good. Like Steve Lastic, I'm like, man, I don't want to follow that. That was just so good. <laughs> you know. So I think they've been great. Uh, you got to understand the scriptures from beginning to end are not a book that are just about spiritual affairs. They're meant to be very practical. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Hebrews didn't even really have a word for spiritual because it was just your life. There wasn't this dichotomy of this spiritual and physical. It was just one life. And so the entire Bible will deal with issues that seem very practical, like food and sex and life and love and friendship and finances and work. And too often we have this view of spirituality that it's separate from our real life and our everyday. But that's not true because the Bible integrates all of those things. And today is going to be kind of easy and hard for me. Easy because I talked about this before, but it's kind of hard for me because I feel like I'm not being spiritual enough in what I talk about. Now when we talked about money, what I did in money, is the first week I took a kind of a theological approach to it, and the second week I took a very practical approach to it. When we're going to talk about work and laziness and sluggards today, and this week I'm going to do a very practical approach. Again, so practical, you're going to think, have I even been to church? Other than that we're singing songs about Jesus and we're praying. and things. So yeah, you'll been, know you've been to church, but it's going to be so practical, you're going to be like, well, what is that? It's, I think it's the practicalness of the gospel in our lives. And then next week is going to be more theological in the take and the looking at work. And again, when you talk about sluggards, this is a great metaphor the Bible uses, like a slug. Don't you just want to take one home as a pet and hug it and love it? And No, it's like, oh, why, a slug? What do slugs do? Nothing. Nothing. They just get their slime everywhere and don't do all this stuff. Proverbs 26, verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Ooh, nice. It's a great metaphor of a person who'd rather really starve than work. And they'd rather get a hand out rather than putting their hand to the plow. And it's not telling you to spend as little time as possible in bed. That's not what it's doing at all because God made us to sleep. We can't survive without it. Psalm 127 verse 2 tells us sleep is a gift. It's trying to say that we were made for meaningful work in our lives. And many times what sin does is it causes us to make excuses and run from that meaningful work. So we're going to talk about work and laziness and sluggards. And if you work in your lifetime and go into the workforce, you will spend on average about a hundred. 100,000 hours of your life at work. 100,000 hours. I know, the only thing you're going to spend more is like probably watching TV. But, at, you know, 100,000 hours at, at work. So that means it should connect to Jesus. It should be part of the gospel because it's a major part of our lives. And it's because Jesus is over everything. Now, your job should be part of, I believe, God's work in the world. So how we work and how we interact with others and how we treat people and the goods that come from our labor, this is all meant to be worship. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This is an important thing to understand because people who follow Jesus, we are constantly reminded throughout the scriptures that God himself works. In Genesis 1.31, God creates everything and he calls it good. That means God works hard and works well until it is finished. He doesn't get to the end of the day and say, eh, that's good enough, I'll slap some duct tape on it and, and go home. He doesn't do that. In John chapter 5, the religious leaders are going after Jesus again because he healed somebody on the Sabbath, the rest day. 
When they get into space, this is what happens. John 5, 16, and 17. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. They want to kill him at this point, because he makes himself equal with God by making the statement. But he's telling them that God works. What is God working towards? His glory and our good. That's what God is working towards. Genesis 2 shows man was created for work. It is good. And God intends for his people to work hard and well because we are made in his image. Now, you do eventually get to Genesis chapter 3, and everything goes all wonky because of this thing we call the fall. Man rebels against God. And because creation was under our stewardship, then creation also falls into chaos. We're told that the ground itself now even fights against us in what we do because it's cursed. It takes a lot of effort to get the earth to produce the things that we want. And Christian thinking has now been corrupted on this idea throughout the ages of work. We say, oh, work is a curse. No, work is not a curse. Work is a good thing, but the ground itself is cursed. Sometimes people have this idea of heaven, like, I don't want to go to heaven because I don't want to sit on a harp and, or sit on a cloud and play a harp and wear a diaper and get all pudgy all day long. That is not how the scriptures talk about heaven. I have no idea where this idea came from anyway, but that's not how the scriptures talk about it. The scriptures talk about heaven in a way that we will have redeemed work with God. There's, I think there's a reason why the universe is as big as it is. I think work will always be what it was always meant to be. We will find great satisfaction in it because we'll be working with Him and for Him. We'll be doing things that bring our souls great satisfaction. And now when I say that work is good, it doesn't mean, though, that it's not harder than it has to be. Because of the fall, like I said, the ground is cursed, which means almost nothing works out the way that you want. Just when you think you have everything all put together the way that it's supposed to work, you're like, yes, then what happens? It falls apart. Something breaks. Last year was my mom's 70th birthday. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you how old she was. I didn't tell you how much she weighed, so okay. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was in my backyard, and so I, I had trimmed the bushes, picked up the dog poo, trimmed the lawn, and I went out to mow it. I pull out my mower, and I start it, and bam, I throw a rod in the engine. The, I don't know if you know what that means. There's a, there's a thing called a cylinder, and it, anyway, I broke it. Okay, it broke. I turned the key, and, ding, 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 and, and it broke. I'm like, oh, God, Why? I had to go borrow two lawn mowers to get my nephew to help me mow the lawn. It was, it was crazy just, just to get it done. But, you know, this is the ground. It's cursed. It fights against us. It's really supposed to remind us of how we fight against God. Because God takes us and he moves us into places and we start to grow and then we throw a rod. And we just kind of run against what he says. This is like man's lot in life. So you got to understand, work is a good thing, but sometimes it is harder than it needs to be. So you get some great principles in the scriptures, how to work properly, even in the midst of the fallenness in which we live. So I'm going to give you two parts of this. I'm going to give you some practical stuff in, in dealing and how to do business. And then secondly, I'm going to come and how to change our mindset in regard to work. Again, it's going to be very practical. You're going to be like... Uh, where's Jesus? I'll tell you where Jesus is in the midst of this. So here we go. First off, uh, business ethics. Business ethics. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So this is talking about weights and measures. And you may think, well, I don't deal with weights, weights and measures. Well, in our vernacular, this would be, in business, you're supposed to be fair. God's people are meant to be a fair people. If you're a contractor, you keep honest records with people. Uh, if you work six hours, you bill six 
hours. Just stick to it. If a job, if your job takes six hours and someone wants it in four, you don't say four and then overbill the extra two to get the extra money. If you're a mechanic, it means if you quote somebody $1,200, just stick to it. You don't say, oh, it's $800 and then rip open the car and say, oh, hey, I found something else. It's going to be $1,200 now. You, you, you live up to your word. We don't skirt the law. We don't skim off the top. We don't overbill. God does not like that. See? Simple, practical, right? Two of you. Okay, great. Secondly, <laughs> work with skill. Work with skill. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings who will not stand before obscure men. So this means we work well. This would mean in our culture, you, you show up on time. If you, if you wear a uniform, you put it on before you get there. You don't punch in and then put it on unless they tell you to do that at work. God says work hard and well. A couple years ago, I found a really good mechanic. Uh, it, I, he had a problem. He said, oh, it's 150 bucks, and that's what it cost to fix it, 150 bucks. And he was fast and did exactly what he said. You know what happened? He's no longer in business because someone found him and hired him away where he can make more money working for this person than running his own shop. Bad news for me, good news for him. Uh, worse to be a people that work like we're working for Jesus in everything. That means if you're a mom, you be the best mom you can be. If you're an artist, the best artist you can be. An accountant, a therapist, a salesman, whatever it is, we start to do it skillfully. You ever seen this show called Pawn Stars? Pawn Stars. Okay, pawn stars. Okay, pawn stars. It, you go through and you find this, sometimes people like junk in their garage and they take it down and they try and sell it to these guys at this pawn shop and they talk about it and oh, this was da da da. Well, someone once brought in, it's a pocket watch from the 1700s and they show it to Rick and Rick's the guy who owns the shop and he's looking at it and talking about it and then he says, can I open it? And the guy's like, sure. So he opens up the back of this pocket watch and inside it's inlaid with gold and birds and it's hand hammered and it's inside there that the guy writes his name. It's all in a place that no one would ever see. Because the guy took his job seriously. And it's 300 years later, and this guy's watch is on TV, and we're still talking about it. You get Half of you probably have Apple watches. You're going to need a new one every October because they only last a year, and you got to get another one. This guy's watch, 300 years later, and he'll probably talk about it 300 years from now. Because he worked with skill. God calls us to be a people who do what we do well as best as we can. I think skilled businesses get found, and word of mouth is really still the best. Third thing is, in that, work with your hands. Uh, Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the sloth will be put to force labor. I think that what part of that means for us is when you get a skill, keep working on it to get better. My wife is a nurse at the hospital. They're always taking new classes and learning new things to keep up with all the stuff that's coming out. I, I have a friend named Pete Newman. He's a contractor. I feel like I'm always driving him crazy because I'm always asking how to do things. And then he tells me, and then I bring it. And then I say, hey, can you come help me? He's on no figure it out. And then my wife calls him and says, I'm going to kill him. He's like, I'll be right there. And, and he shows up and, and helps out. But the, the best doctors are the ones who are reading new articles. The best musicians are trying new things. The best chefs are trying new recipes. I read theology books for fun. Not that I'm trying to find new theology, but I want to get better in how I share things with you. What we work at, we work at with skill the best that we can. Fourthly, we pay what something is worth. I always try and throw this one there because it's important to not be, I don't know, a butthole. Okay? You got this, this is, if you like garage sales, here you go. Proverbs 20, 20, verse 14. Bad, bad, says the buyer. That's a piece of junk, right? The NIV says, it's no good, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. So you go up to somebody and say they got $10 on something. You're like, oh, that's a piece of junk. I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you a quarter. And you just whittle some poor person down like, oh, fine, I'll take the dollar. Just leave me alone. And then you go and you brag to all your friends, look what I got for a buck. It's worth 50. Praise the Lord. Yeah, and you were a jerk the entire time. 
This is what it's talking about. I, I call this car dealership syndrome. Anyone ever trading a car at a car dealership? Don't, right? But it, sometimes you do that. They're like, well, I'll give you $38.50 for it. And you're like, but it's a 2015 fully loaded SUV, no accidents. Okay, I'll give you 50 bucks for it, right? It's, it's terrible what car dealerships do. Now, I'm not saying you need to pay full price for something, but tell people what you're willing to pay. And don't disrespect them or the item in the midst of it. I mean, I got a story about this. About 10 years ago, my wife and I had this Honda that, that we were selling. Uh, we wanted 12000 We were only going to take ten five. I would sell it private party, and it's always the worst. It's such a pain. When I sell cars, I actually bring them to the Element parking lot, not my house. I don't want them to know where I live. Right? So I, I meet him here. And this guy gets out of his car, with literally with a poker. He pulls in, his car's ready to just fall apart. He rolls up the windows with his family in it like they're dogs at the Walmart or something. And I'm like, what do you do when he gets out of his car? this poker. Starts climbing all over my wife's car. Poke, 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 poke. And he comes back and he goes, uh, I'll give you $7,000. And I go, no, you won't. And he gets back in, he goes, poke, 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 I'll give you eight. Well, no. And in the end, I didn't want to sell him the car at all because he was so rude and mean, and I felt bad for his family. But I was just like, this is ter-. So in the end, we actually sold the car to a nice, honest guy for less than $10,000 because he goes, this is what I have, my family needs it, and I'm like, great, sold. And we sold it to this person because he wasn't a jerk. So what I'm saying is, if you go to buy something, don't be a jerk about it. You can, you can barter if you want to, but when you go in, you say what you're willing to pay. You don't respect people. You don't re- disrespect. You don't disrespect people. You don't disrespect their things. Again, I cut an honest deal to an honest man. We don't trash talk. Is that practical and make sense? Yeah, right? Proverbs is very practical. So, uh, let me switch gears now and help us to get our minds around work in another way of how to see it a little bit differently. I think if we do this, we're going to be freaks in a good way, in a really good way. Uh, so, the first one's what I already talked about. First off, work is not a necessary evil. Work is not a necessary evil. I heard too many people, Christians and non-both, say something to the effect of, too bad we have to work, it must be God's punishment, he must hate us. In a biblical sense, work is given before the fall, before everything goes wonky. So work is good. God, as I said, God works hard and God works well. Work is a gift that God gave to us so that we could do something like he does. In, in creation account, you know, we work six days and you rest one. I know there are countries in the world today where you work like four days a week for five hours a day and it's, you know, ungodly. But, you know, people, oh, I want that. I want to make $100,000 a year working once a day stuffing envelopes. Good luck to you. I don't believe in luck. So anyway, we're meant to love the rest because we worked hard and well. That's why you love the rest. We enjoy God's creation when we rest. So secondly, work is more than what you get paid to do. So what I mean by that is if you're a student, that's your work. Okay, That's your work. I know you're not getting paid, you're paying somebody else, but that's really your work. Stay-at-home moms. I mean, that's you work harder than most people I know, more than 40 hours a week, and you don't get paid at all. If, even if you're a kid and you have chores, mowing the lawn, cleaning your room, doing the dishes, that's your work. Even if you don't get an allowance, it's still your work. Work is what we do. It's what we do. Even if you volunteer somewhere, that's considered work, so we do it well. Now, some people don't, won't do anything if they're not getting paid, and I think that's dumb. I was a youth pastor for years, and I remember hearing some kids who grew up in the church say things like, it'd be so great if Christians didn't have to work. Yeah, only Christians think that, by the way. You know, no, no, nobody else does. So I ask them, I go, what are you talking about? Well, I want to dedicate my life to spiritual things. I'm like, really? Freeloading is not biblical. You know, for too long... <laughs> For too long, Christians have had this mentality of where young men and women both, but mostly more young men, that they want everyone to take care of them until God shows them what to do. I, you know what God has shown you to do? Work! Okay? 
So God has shown you what to do. Okay, I knew this kid who went house to house to house, bumming off people, freeloading off everybody, burned every bridge he had. Then he comes to me and goes, can you guys take an offering to help me out? And I'm, I'll take an offering to buy some shovels and we'll bury it. You know, I didn't say that, but <laughs> I'm like going, come on, dude. Ecclesiastes 2.24. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Toil is the word for work. God made us to work. It's meant to be rewarding to us. First Thessalonians 4.11. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. That's your own business. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Why do we work this way? So people would see the gospel by how we live and work. Not that we're saved by our work. But we are starting to reflect our great God who has loved and saved us by the work that he did in the person of Jesus. It is not bad to work. It is good. And I think as Christians, we should work. I think if you're young and single, work a lot. Work a lot. Thirdly, don't use I'm waiting on God as an excuse not to work. Some people think that God is going to show up someday and burn a bush in front of your house and say, Aaron, this is Jesus. Be a rock star. And you're like, oh, I knew it. I'm only 48. Now i got to learn how to play the guitar. Okay, I'm ready to go. And, and, and we laugh at this, but a lot of people do this. Because if, if you feel like, oh, i got to be called to engineering just because you like the title of engineering, but you're not good with numbers, for the love of God, find something else to do. Don't, don't build something that people are going to drive on or go inside. I, oh, I want to be a doctor, but blood makes me pass out. Well, don't be a doctor. I want to be a lifeguard. I'm allergic to water. Well, don't be a lifeguard. The Bible is very helpful in things like this. For 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know what I think God wants us to do is read His Word. Spend some time with Him. Allow Him to lead us. I think if you want to be a mother or a farmer or an architect or a doctor, look at them in the scriptures. Look at the places where they fell short of how work didn't save them, but how the grace of God did. I Think about carpentry, right? Jesus was a carpenter. How do you think he ran his shop? Do you think he was late on his deadline? Do you think he was on time? I think he was on time. How do you think Peter fished? How was he as a fisherman? If you're unsure about your life, get some counsel. Ask some people, if you don't know, hey, what do you see me being good at? And let them kind of speak into your life. Uh, Proverbs 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. You want to be a doctor? Talk to one. You want to be an engineer? Talk to one. The older teaching the younger. Don't go to school forever, then realize you don't like what you're doing. Which gives my number four. Once you choose a job, you can always change it. You can always change it. Some people won't choose because they think they can never change, so they don't do anything. In 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul is, is speaking to people in slavery, and he says, if you get the opportunity to buy your freedom, do it and move on. And move on. You may be underemployed right now in a dead-end job that you just hate. And you think, why should I work hard in something I hate? Because you're not necessarily just working for your boss. You're doing things to bring glory to God on this earth as you work. Uh, True story. I was in a certain place a few years ago in town. And something, I don't want to tell the whole story, but something happened. And I was there trying to get this thing fixed. And there was a young girl who came over and started to help me. And it wasn't her job, but everybody else kept dropping the ball. So she came over. She was very kind and gracious. She helped other people in the midst of helping me. It's like a couple hours into this, and she's still kind and still figuring these things out. And eventually, I asked for her name and phone number, not in a creepy way, because <laughs> I am married, right? But, but because I knew someone who was hiring at the time. 
And I said, can I give your name and phone number to this person? And she actually got the job with this person, made more money with a whole lot less stress. Why? Because she worked in a way that I actually took notice. I think in the world and how we work and live, people should take notice because we are showing who God is too, like the scriptures say, to those outsiders. Those are the things we've got to understand. And I know sometimes that your job stinks, but sometimes God puts us in places to instill work ethic in us and to grow us up so that we would be people who better reflect who he is and we're ready for that next task. I think we always work hard where we are. Your character grows. We don't become motionless. Uh, We have faith no matter where we are that God is doing something in and through us. Fifthly, there are not non-Christian and Christian jobs. Okay, I know sometimes we think that. I mean, I guess there could be non-Christian jobs, you know, like crack dealer, hitman, prostitute, meth lab owner, country music star, you know, stuff like that. But most jobs are biblically acceptable, right? Uh, these, are, these are jobs in the scriptures. Musician, fishing, farming, textiles, education, politics, parenting, law, military. Which one's a Christian job? All of them. They all can be. So don't ever not take a job because you think it's not good enough for God. What makes a job a Christian job is the person doing the job and how we honor God and what we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us whatever we do, whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. I think you can do just about anything and God's cool with it. I think he is more concerned how we do those things. You can sweep floors or be a doctor and do it both biblically. I don't think God's will is this tiny little dot that you've got to figure out. I think God's will is direction, serve, love, glorify, understand the good news of the gospel and his rescue of us and how we live out. A lot of kids are college like, college kids are like, I've got to figure out my major and I've got to, I've got to pick that and do that. Ah, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. Let me just help you out if you're in college. Who in here has a degree? Okay, all right? Now, who in here has ever had, who has that degree, who in here has ever had a job that your degree didn't actually deal with? There you go. There you go. Oh, but I, but I majored in Middle Eastern art and politics. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Work. Okay, good job. You know, it's... Economies are always reinventing themselves. They are. At at one time, horse and buggies, that was a great job. Not anymore. You know, whoever invented Betamax and 8-tracks tapes, they didn't do something else, they have starved to death by now. Okay? Because economies change. It means we serve God and we love God. And whatever you do, we do it all to His glory. And I always try to bring this one up because it makes me sound mean. Whatever. Uh, Sometimes I think people should go hungry. Now, Proverbs 16.26 says, A worker's appetite works for him, his mouth urges him on. Sometimes hunger is good for someone if it makes them work. If you're skinny and your pants are falling off, a cheeseburger sounds really good. i got a bunch of bad stories about people, but I'm not going to give you any except one. Uh, I... I know a guy who lived with his parents, not, not trying to just live off his parents, didn't ever have a job, into his 40s. And the parents are like, what do we do? And I go, kick him out. Just kick him out. That's so mean. No, he's going to get hungry enough to work. I never bought that guy lunch because I was biblical. Second Thessalonians, <laughs> Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Starvation and sometimes can be biblical. I'm not talking single moms or children. I'm talking able-bodied dudes who just don't want to do anything. Just because someone is lazy, it doesn't mean we should give them things. So, uh, sixthly, this might help out some bosses here. If you're a Christian and you're at work, 
do your work. Don't use time at work to do evangelism unless it's by your lifestyle. It should be by our lifestyle, not by shirking your responsibilities. I once worked at this company, and there's a guy on staff, and he was a Christian, and he would spend all, not a church, okay? I haven't always worked in a church. And he would spend spend all this time in the break room, in in the kitchen, always trying to convert people, never working at his desk, getting what he was supposed to be paid. It was the worst. It was the worst. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. If you're paying to get to do paid to do a job and you're not doing it, you're stealing. God doesn't like that. He calls that sin. I once got a job promising a guy that I wasn't like his other Christian workers. I said, I will actually work hard for you because I believe God calls me to do that. And I got the job. <sighs> I feel like I'm whittling down my counseling load today. Anyway, uh, Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. Is that a waste of his time? Not at all. Not at all. Did God have better things to do? No. He's working his job well. He probably made very nice table and chairs. Jesus was doing spiritual things. By Jesus working, he is preaching the good news. That's how we look at our jobs. It's that, it's that we bring good news of who God is and the places that we work by how we work. Because we're showing who God is. Is I think it's how we got to look at our jobs. Seventhly, and this will this is good for some of you. Uh, look for ways to take care of your boss if you're an employee. Now, Proverbs twenty-seven verse eighteen out of the NIV: He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. You may have a bad boss. Do you pray for them? Have you ever walked up and said, "How can I bless you? What can I do for you?" You do something like that. Many times, bosses are like. Oh, my goodness, and it totally starts to change their mindset because you're living like Christ. Eighthly, be, that's a, eighthly, is that a thing? Uh, be a good employee. Be a good employee. Uh, Proverbs 26, verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Uh, this is all about excuses, like you never show up to work on time because there might be a lion in the road. I could die if I show up to work. I'm not going to. CNN compiled some of the craziest excuses. I'm going to read you some of them because they're hilarious. Uh, I have transient amnesia and couldn't remember my job. That's why I was late. Okay. Uh, The line was too long at Starbucks, which is true. Get there earlier if you want to. I was trying to get my gun back from the police. (laughs) And that's when you're like, you're fine. Okay. (laughs) I didn't have any money for gas because all the pawn shops were closed. Apparently, Rick didn't want his pocket watch. Uh, My left turn signal was out, so I had to make all right turns to get to work. This is my favorite one. I feel like I'm in everyone's way if I show up on time. Because <laughs> we, we are people who don't need to make excuses. We, we do our, our work. And I think when we work and live differently and rightly, it begins to show. It really begins to show. We don't work this way to make God love us. We understand that God already does love us, that God has extended salvation to us, that God has rescued us. But when we work in the world in a way that brings honor to who He is, as the children of God, we show who God is by the way that we actually work. We show who God is by what we do. So lastly, I have two things, and they go together. Uh, Find a way to put meaning into your work. Okay, Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25 out of the NIV. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? So we need to find meaning in our work because God finds meaning in it, which means my last one is we work for Jesus. That's what we do. Everything we do is for him. Uh, Colossians three twenty three. whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Your paycheck may have a company name on it, but in the end we work for Jesus. 
And if your boss doesn't see something, Jesus does, so we do it well. And you might think practically, and all that we talk about today, where's the gospel? Because this is what living a redeemed life in the midst of our culture reflects how our God rescued us. We are not saved by our work. We are saved by the work that He did for us. And God works hard and well. And when we want to reflect Him to the culture around us, we begin to work hard and well. Not because our work saves us, but because He saved us by the work that He did. And this then becomes reflected in what we do. Sometimes I know work is hard. I think with due diligence, God can and will bring about satisfaction in the things that we do. I think it is by God's grace that we are what we are. I think all work gets done by God's grace. And then we come in and work in the midst of that grace. Again, not that our salvation is by it, but we work in the midst of it because of the great grace we have received. I think in this instance, work and grace can actually be friends because it's God's grace that enables us to work this way. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, this is the idea, no matter what we do, It can all bring glory to who God is because it all stems from His grace. And this comes back to our understanding of salvation. The work of God that He has done to rescue us changes the way we see the world around us. It's meant to have us bring about a countercultural ideal of life and hope and loving others and giving to others and loving Him first and glorifying Him in all that we do. It's very, very practical. The Scriptures are so practical in stuff like this. And sometimes, again, we, we have this dichotomy view where you have the spiritual and the physical and they're, and they're so different from each other. No, our lives are supposed to come together. So everything we do stems out of God's great salvation of us. This is why we talk about communion. Because communion is the place where we remember that Jesus came and did the work that we can never do to restore us to God. This is why you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of blood that was shed for you and me. That the work that Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection is what wipes away our sin and restores us back into relationship with God again. All the curse and all the rebellion that we brought, Jesus took care of by the work that he did on the cross and the resurrection. And so we come to this place and we lay down our own efforts to try and make God love us. And we lay ourselves down in humbleness and take up the understanding of God's work for us. And then how we work is simply a reflection of what God has first done for us. The band's going to come up. As they do, we're going to sing a couple songs. I'm going to invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. And if you guys need prayer, uh, they would love to pray for you. Maybe you're in a dead-end job or you hate your job and you just don't know what to do because everything just frustrates you and you would like somebody to pray with you about it. They would love to pray with you about that. Well, if you have anything going on in your life right now, they'd, they'd love to pray with you about that. It's, it's the understanding that we are a people who work, again, not because it makes God love us more, but because it reflects better who He is and how we live our lives. That God has sought us and rescued us and redeemed us. God has chased His wayward children down from the point of rebellion all the way back in Genesis. And He has, he has paid the wage that we had earned to rescue and to save us. Because he's good. So we, in turn, then work out in a way that honors him and all that we do. Uh, there's offering boxes next to every single door. Uh, we give because God gave so much to us, giving as part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done. And there's food outside. We invite you to grab something to eat, take some sermon notes, meet some people, get together this week. If you're not in the gospel community, maybe get together with some family members or friends and talk through some of the questions. You know, like, what's the best and worst job you ever had? I think one of the questions in there is, if you had you as an employee, how would you feel about you? <laughs> 
I think it depends on how old I was when what y'all were talking about, right? Because some of them, I was a total knucklehead. <laughs> Still am. Anyway, but, you know, kind of go through those and, and talk to one another and, and help grow one another in the understanding of the gospel. Because, you know, we, we may be a bad employee where we're at even now today, but we're not meant to be a people who live in shame. We're meant to be a people who understand the rescue we have received in Christ, that God restores us, and our tomorrows are in front of us, and everything can be new again. Even if we have worked poorly in the past, we can actually, that can all change tomorrow. And we can live and love Him in all that we do because our God is a rescuing and redeeming God. And He is great and He is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that You would remind us uh, this week, especially the, the practicalness of our work and how to work in a way that reflects who You are as our great and good God. That You have rescued, that You have restored, that You have redeemed, that You have saved. And that our hearts would then reflect better your goodness and grace. And then our hands would reflect better your goodness and grace. That would all be a response to what you have first done. Have us begin to see the great work that you have done to rescue us. The hope that you have provided in the person of Jesus. And that we would surrender all that we are so that we would live out all that you call us to be. Father, we thank you for changing us, for making us new. Teach us to understand that everything in our lives can be redeemed and restored. And it's all through the work that you have done to rescue us. So practically out in our lives, teach us to reflect who you are by how we work by how we give and serve others around us. And that we would see things the way that you do. Father, teach us to be a people who are hungry to bring you glory. To reflect in this world as your ambassadors who you are. So that all men would know the goodness of you and the hope that you provide. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.